Today is the first Sunday in Lent, the season of the Christian year where we journey with Jesus to Easter. This Lent at PUMC, Pastor Jabe and I will be going through a sermon series uh, talking about how God is relentless. We like the play on words there, relentless. Uh, in the quest for deep and meaningful relationship with us and how we should be relentless in responding to God's goodness. We'll focus on important themes in our faith as followers of the crucified Christ. Repent, refocus, remember, repair, repeat, and relentless. We begin our relentless sermon series with the word repent. As uncomfortable as it is, there's no Easter without Good Friday. There's no empty tomb without the cross. There's no faith without repentance. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin, but if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God. For you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Paul's letter to the church in Romans was his way of mapping out how God was faithful by sending Jesus, raising him from the dead, and ultimately raising those who are in Christ from the dead. Before Jesus, we were enslaved to sin. We read in Genesis 3 that sin comes into the world when we disobeyed God's direction not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We were made to trust God, but we thought we knew the best way to live and didn't need God to lead us. We chose to go our own way instead of God's way. And now we see how sin infects our institutions as people try to assert power and dominance over one another and the rest of creation. And if we are one body, sin infecting any of us infects all of us. Sin hurts all of us, hurts our relationship with God, hurts creation, and the biggest consequence of sin is death. When we are choosing not to love and trust God, 
we are walking away from life. But hear the good news. God loves us deeply, even when we choose to go our own way. God is a great rescuer who fixes everything that went wrong in the garden. God, coming to us in the person of Jesus, showing us the way to live, dying and being raised from the dead, puts us back in right relationship with God. The message translation says, since we've proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Paul writes that the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Christ died to sin because he lived a life resistant to sin. The cross was more than Christ's last breath. It was sin's last breath. When we're baptized, we participate in Christ's death and resurrection. Our old self is also put to death once and for all. This doesn't mean that we can no longer sin. Paul is well aware that sin remains powerful and attractive for the most well-trained Christian. But sin doesn't have the same power over us anymore. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We walk not in sin, but in grace. For Paul, Christ dying for all means God's action is for all of humanity and all of creation. In his death, Jesus destroys sin. In his resurrection, Jesus destroys death. His resurrection from the dead is hope, not only for Christians, but for all of creation. His resurrection was not a mere resuscitation. What happened at Easter renewed his body was the beginning of the renewal of all creation. In the very first verse of our passage for this morning, Paul asks a rhetorical question. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Should we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? Paul answers, by no means. My New Testament professor actually translated this as, hell no. Christ's life, death, and resurrection allow us to turn toward God, which strengthens us with a renewed faith. Once we've accepted Christ, we are dead to sin and cannot go on sinning anymore. It's like being in a foreign country. Asking, shall we continue in sin, is like asking, shall we remain in France? If you remain in France, you're going to keep speaking French. When we accept Christ and die to sin, we've moved out of one country into another, and it's no longer appropriate to go on speaking that same language. The problem with sin is that it's still everywhere. We can't just move from one country to another where we can easily avoid speaking that language. We always need Christ to rescue us from sin. In Christ, we are saved we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's a continual process as we continually repent of our sin and turn back to God. We repent regularly, returning again and again to the God who greets us with open arms. It becomes a lifelong habit of holy living. As we become more and more like Christ, we'll become more and more aware of when we've sinned and our need to repent. 
Paul, tongue-in-cheek, asks if we should continue in sin in order that grace may abound, because God is gracious. Grace reaches us where we are and accepts us where we are, because anything less would result in nobody being saved. We are saved by grace alone. But grace is always transformative. God accepts where we are, but God does not intend to leave us where we are. So with God's help, we die to sin and live for God. Because of Jesus, we are able to repent, to walk in the newness of life, to try again. Day in and day out, we need to be quick to recognize our sin and ask God for forgiveness. Since we all struggle with sin in different ways, prayer and self-reflection are needed to determine where repentance is most needed. I don't know about you, but sometimes I uh, hesitate to confess my sin to God because I'm ashamed I keep messing up. But I remember the parable of the prodigal son. What happened after he had wasted his inheritance and was starving? While the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and came running to meet him and welcome him back home. Charles Spurgeon said, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we can scarcely limp, and if we are limping toward God, God will run toward us. The heart of repentance is returning to the Lord. Asking for forgiveness from God or others shouldn't be empty words, but it should be partnered with a turning away from the old attitude or way of being turning towards Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way, Repentance is not a turn from sin to righteousness. It is a turn from sin to the righteous Son of God who has defeated all sin. In Christ, the power of sin that infects every aspect of our lives and the whole of creation was exposed, engaged, and overcome. Christ cancels our sin and guilt before God. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the greatest outpouring of God's love and mercy upon the world. If our old self was crucified with Christ, then we can't live like he hasn't changed our lives. John Wesley called repentance the porch that leads into the house of true religion. God is waiting for us on that porch with a sign that says, Welcome home. Jesus says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We don't have to hide our failures from God, and we don't have to hide them from each other either. Being the one body of Christ means we confess our sins before God and one another. I admit where I have failed. I repent and you proclaim God's goodness and grace and love to me. I am delivered out of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Similarly, our siblings in Christ can speak truth to us in love. A life group or a Sunday school class or an accountability partner might be someone who can point out your growing edges, can show you where they see repentance is needed. I really want to emphasize the in love part of speaking truth in love. Pointing out someone else's sin has to come from a place of love and trust and ongoing relationship. 
Don't judge someone for sinning differently than you do. Repentance is a step further than confessing our sin before God and one another. Repentance is a 180-degree turn from one way of living to another. I remember one day in elementary school where my math class was learning about angles, and we were lining up after lunch one day, and our teacher decided to test us. She asked us to turn 360 degrees, and just as John David demonstrated a moment ago, we all turned in a circle facing the same way we had been facing before. Only our teacher had meant to tell us to turn 180 degrees so that we would be facing the other direction. Sometimes we ask God for forgiveness just to do a 360-degree turn going on in the same way we were before. But repentance is a 180-degree turn from one way of living to another, and not just to try a different direction, but to turn from death to life, from sin to God. True repentance changes lives. Miss Thompson was a fifth-grade teacher who really struggled to teach a boy named Keddie. He misbehaved, he didn't pay attention, he didn't turn in his assignments. She got so frustrated, it got to the point where she would actually take delight in marking his papers with a bright red pen, making bold X's and putting an F at the top of the page. One day, reviewing his file, she learned he had once been a bright and well-mannered boy, but he fell into a downward spiral when his mother died while he was in the third grade. The ashamed Mrs. Thompson started showing Keddie attention and encouragement. By the end of the year, he was near the top of his class. Every few years, Teddy would send her notes on his progress. He finished high school third in his class. He graduated college with honors. He went on to become a doctor. When he thanked her for making a difference in his life and being the best teacher he had ever had, Miss Thompson told him he got it wrong. She said, Teddy, you were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. That day when Teddy was in the fifth grade and Miss Thompson reviewed his file, she recognized her mistake in treating Teddy poorly and she repented, confessed and changed her behavior. And both of their lives were changed forever. Repentance can be a radical life change or it can be something as simple as paying attention to those who usually get overlooked. I want to invite each of us to pause at the end of the day this week, each day this week, to consider where we've sinned and repent. Whatever that looks like in your life, God is merciful when we confess our sin and turn our lives around. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. The God of forgiveness and grace leads us away from sin and death away from pain and darkness, into newness of life, hope, and light. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have set before us life and death. Help us to choose life, obeying you and holding fast to you. You have given us all we need, 
we return it to do with it what you will. Give us only your love and your grace. That is enough for us. Amen.